another edition of the Read More Podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm Marva Hinton. Today I'm on the phone with Disha Filia. Her debut short story collection, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, which was a National Book Award finalist, was published last September. This collection was also a finalist for the Story Prize and was recently long-listed for the 2021 Penn Faulkner Award in Fiction. The nine stories in this collection look at black women and girls, their desires, the black church, and the ways in which it can be an oppressive, misogynistic force. Disha, congratulations on the book, and thanks so much for coming on Read More. Thank you so much for having me, Marva. I just really love your writing, and as I mentioned to you in the past, I discovered it just randomly when I was reading the Baltimore Review. I came across your story, Snowfall, there, and that story is also in the collection. It's about a lesbian couple that left the South behind for more acceptance in the North. And throughout this story, we see both of the women often reminiscing about the region, and one of them in particular just has a deep yearning for it. So I just fell in love with this story, and the way you wrote about the South, it just made me homesick for North Carolina, where I'm from originally. And the stories in The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, just so devastating and heartbreaking. The black women you write feel like people you know, they're just so well drawn, they span generations, and what we see binding them is in many cases they've been rejected or not fully accepted by the church, their mothers, or by society at large, sometimes all three, and this shapes how they move in the world. Why did you want to tell these women's stories? So, you know, initially when I started writing, I mean, I've been, I realized I've been writing about church ladies for 20 years, even though I didn't think of it as I'm writing about church ladies. I feel like I was writing about dissatisfied women. Um, and it was because I was dissatisfied and I was more comfortable giving that dissatisfaction to characters rather than um, writing nonfiction about my own life. And so that thread of, you know, discontent and longing, you know, for all these years, they've shown up in my short fiction as well as um, in a couple of novels I, I, I was attempting to write, um, and those themes persisted. And then at the same time, and also related to that in, in terms of the women that I chose to write about, I did, I had also, like you, that deep nostalgia and longing for the South. I grew up in Florida. And um, and so specifically, the women um, in the churches that I grew up in, as well as the women outside of the churches, you know, when we're uh, becoming women ourselves, when we are going through adolescence, you know, we look to see, you know, who are we supposed to be? What's possible? And, you know, that was a very confusing time for me, like it was for a lot of, of, of girls. And those um, questions and the fascination I had with, with those women um, when I was growing up, they stuck with me. And, and so they show up in my imagination. And combining that with the nostalgia, um, those are the things that you see show up again and again in the collection. Well, in the collection, I was really struck by all the mother-daughter relationships that you covered. I mean, you've got mothers who are abusive, physically and emotionally, 
there's one mother who doesn't hide the fact that she favors her son. Um, there's another one where the mom drives her daughter away by being overly critical. What is it about this relationship that made you want to explore it? So that, oddly enough, it's all over that book, but that was not a conscious choice. It was after I turned in the manuscript to the publisher, I thought, wow, there's mother-daughter stuff all over this. And um, I lost my mother uh, to breast cancer when I was, um, I guess I was 34. That was in 2005. And that relationship um, was truly the defining relationship of my life. And um, I'm really thankful that um, the last six weeks of my mother's life, she was in hospice. We were able to reconcile. And we, um, when she passed away, you know, we had healed things that needed to be healed. Um, but, you know, losing her, that, you know, there's still a lot of unfinished business. And I feel as though um, that's why it came up in the stories, you know, that I'll never have um, certain closures with my mother, um, even though we were at peace when she passed away, that there's still a lot that's very alive for me. And, and again, um, that relationship was so influential in my life. And so I'm a, a mother as well as a daughter, but I think right now that relationship is, um, was the one that was I was feeling and 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 sort of um, processing most so acutely, um, and I tend to you know write long after the fact, right? So it's probably going to be a while before I write more from a mother's perspective. Um, my daughters are seventeen and twenty two, but I think I needed some time and distance. Um, you know, my mom died. I guess it's sixteen, almost sixteen years now before I really explored those things, and even then, it was pretty unconscious. Um, and I like to clarify that there's no character in the book that's me. There's no character that's my mother, but we pieces of us in our relationship are sprinkled throughout the book. Well, for me, in reading this, my absolute favorite story was Peach Cobbler, and. <laughs> When this opens, and I think it's that mother-daughter relationship there. And for me, being a mom, it's like I just wanted to, you know, embrace the protagonist. So when this story opens, the protagonist, Olivia, is a young girl. Her mom is having an affair with the pastor of their church. And in her innocence, she believes the pastor is God. Her mom faithfully makes a peach cobbler for him from scratch every week, and Olivia isn't allowed to have any. And so she watches this, and she longs to have her mom show her the love and attention that she lavishes on these peaches while she's cooking. So this story goes through. We see her when she's a teenager, and she's called on to tutor the pastor's son in math at their home. And they begin a relationship of sorts that doesn't end well. And as I was saying, reading this, I was, oh, I felt so bad for Olivia. You know, I just wanted to tell her she's smart and beautiful and, you know, yeah. it's to want yep. things in life. Uh, it was just such yep. a gut punch of a story. And Olivia is the only character who shows up again later on in the collection. First right. of all, how did this right. story come to you? Like, what was the first thing that you thought of, you know, as you were just beginning to write? And what is it about Olivia that made you want to keep writing her story? So one thing that I do um, 
in my own writing practice, if I'm, you know, trying to generate something, you know, figuring out how to start. And also in my teaching, I, I occasionally teach writing workshops, um, a really fun low stakes exercise is writing a first line. You know, writing a whole story and certainly a whole novel can be daunting, but what if you could just write a fantastic first line? You know, something that immediately pulls readers in and sets you up so that, you know, once you've written that first line, if you want to continue with it, you've got, you know, something, some place to start, some questions you need to answer. And so that first line that I generated, um, my mother made a peach cobbler so good, it made God himself cheat on his wife. Um, and I thought, how fun, right? That was a great first line. But immediately I'm set up for the story because I've got to figure out, um, you know, and I and I knew that the child was thinking God was the, a pastor. Um, you know, uh, when does she figure out that this person is not God? Um, who is this mother that's carrying on this affair where her child is aware of it? Um, what is it with this, you know, let's hear more about this peach cobbler. I love writing about food. Um, and, you know, what is the relationship between the mother and daughter? And, you know, what is the, the dynamic between the mother and the pastor? So I immediately had a set of questions that could help me continue to, to build the story. Um, and I think when I decided to develop it, I, I think I saw a call for submissions for stories um, about food. And I thought, okay, I'll develop it for, um, you know, for that call for submissions. But one thing I like to emphasize to writers, especially emerging writers, is um, most people, when they have a favorite story in the collection, they tell me it's Peach Cobbler. And that's the story that has been rejected the most. Um, not all of the stories were sent out for submission before they were published, but three of the stories um, were published before the book came out. And Peach Cobbler was a fourth story that had been sent out places to be published, and it was rejected everywhere. It's never been published anywhere but my book. So I say that to say, you know, this is a fickle business. This is all very subjective. Um, and, to, you know, I tell that so people can take heart. I personally find it encouraging. So thank you so much for sharing that. Another one of my favorites in this collection was How to Make Love to a Physicist. And this story is about a man and a woman who meet at a STEAM conference. That's science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And they're just an adorable couple. Um, Lyra James is a middle school art teacher, and Eric Terman is a physicist. And what struck me most about this is that we got to see such a lovely courtship. And that's something we often don't get to see for black characters outside romance. And it was really nice and, you know, it's something I'd like to see more often. This story felt really different than the others. It felt like it was a bit of a departure from the other stories. What sparked this idea for you? So I, what sparked it was I actually developed a crush on a physicist <laughs> and, and it was a, it was an unrequited crush. And so I, wrote that first line about, you know, how do you make love to a physicist? You do it on Pi Day. I thought that was so clever. Um, and then I didn't do anything with the story for a while. Um, it was just that, that those lines. And then when it was time to build the collection, I revisited the, those, the lines and, and built the story from it. 
um, I knew I wanted to keep that refrain going. And so there was just, you know, the story is arranged in these vignettes and each one starts with how do you make love to a physicist? And then the rest of the vignette is the answer, you know, to the question and it moves the story along. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe that one feels different because it's probably the happiest story in the collection. And I even, you know, struggle with that because the first line set you up and know that they are going to make love. Now that doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be a happy ending. Um, right. And I got to the, towards the end and I was like, am I going to allow them to be happy? You know, is this like otherwise kind of sad, longing collection? Um, and I thought, yeah, let's give them a hat. Let's, let's make it happy. Um, yeah. So that was conscious on, on my part to, to give them that happy ending. And, and to me, that's one of the ways that the story is different from the others is it's one of um, the most hopeful. And, you know, it just reminded me, I didn't fully answer your question about Peach Cobbler and, and you know, the uh, wh why that character shows up later. And I think it's for, you know, similar reasons. Like I left that story, um, it ends when she's a teenager and she's stuck. And it was not a happy ending. Um, and I think, and I, I didn't consciously put her in another story, but I think subconsciously I could not let her go. I was like this poor girl, like you said, you just want to hug her. You want to, you know, you want to mother her. Um, and I think that I wasn't ready to let her go. And so the last story in the collection, um, Instructions for Married Christian Husbands, it, I'm sorry, it's the last story I wrote. It doesn't appear last in the collection. It's the last one I wrote, and I got to this part where the main character is uh, talking about herself and she says, you know, I, um, I own a bakery and I make the best peach cobbler in town. And I thought, that's her. Like this line, just that line came to me. And I think it was just, I needed, even though we can debate whether or not that was a happy ending for Olivia or not, at least I kind of knew where she ended up. I felt, I guess I needed that. Yeah, I think that was, as a reader, it was nice to see her again and see, you know, like you said, we can and debate whether that was really happy, but it's it's better maybe than what you were thinking after the, the first mm -hmm. story of how her life might end yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a writer, do you feel like you have a favorite story in the collection or a, a character who is the most fun to write? You know, it's hard choosing a, a single favorite story. Um, I can say that, you know, How to Make Love to a Physicist and Instructions for Married Christian Husbands, those were the most fun to write. Um, but, you know, when people hold me to choosing a favorite story, there's usually a tie between Peach Cobbler and How to Make Love to a Physicist. Um, but it's hard. It is. It's really hard because there's not a story in there that that I don't love. Um, but those two um, were the uh, physicist and um, instructions were a lot of fun to write. When Eddie Levert comes was the hardest to write because I just wasn't sure about the ending. It just even now sometimes I just think, oh, I don't know. And that's the story to me that feels different from the others in the collection because it, you know, I didn't have that. I like, I like to end things and it feels like a sigh, whether it's a happy sigh or a sigh of relief. 
And that one, um, the ending feels like a sigh, but I'm still questioning <laughs> myself. And there was a, a point in that story where I had to ask myself, like, where am I going with this story? I, I mean, and, and I had the, I never had the same kinds of questions, at least not to that extent, with the other stories. That one was, was hard. Well, do you think you might ever revisit those characters again, or once it's published, you're done? Um, so for the collection, I don't intend to revisit the characters, um, you know, in, in like another book or anything like that. I say that now. <laughs> um, but I'm excited to be able to revisit them because the um, the book is going to be adapted for television um, I have a deal with HBO Max and Tessa Thompson, and so I'm going to be writing a pilot, and hopefully they like it, and, and we get to see the church ladies on television. So I'm excited about the opportunity to revisit some of them, um, either to just explore the stories again, but in a different format, um, looking at the stories, sort of what happened next, or looking back, you know, who were these characters before the stories as they're written. So I have a lot of options that I can play with. Oh, well, congratulations on that. I mean, that that sounds so exciting. Thank I know as I was reading these, you, you know how it is. You get these, you can see these people in your mind. And so yeah. <laughs> it, I'm looking forward to seeing them on screen. That's wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Well, now I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions about what you like to read. Um, do you have any go-to books and that you turn to time and again? Uh, that's what I call them, my go-to books. Uh, if you were in a situation where you could only read three books for the rest of your life, which three would you choose and why? Oh, my gosh, that's a tough one. Um well, one is easy. One is uh, Sula by Toni Morrison, for sure. And that one is, you know, I feel like that book is really blueprint in terms of, um, you know, writing unapologetic Black women, um, Black women who are either in full possession of themselves or they're trying to be, um, and Black women who act in ways that are frowned upon um, and, but they're just, they just belong to themselves, um, or they're trying to. And, uh, and so I, I would go to that one again and again. Um, I would also say in terms of something more contemporary, um, Nafisa Thompson Spires, The Heads of the Colored People is a fantastic collection of stories and I just love the quirkiness and the nerdiness. Um, and so it's a book that gives you sort of the full package, right? So it's entertaining. It's also smartly written. Um, you know, you laugh, you cry. All You know, it, it takes you on um, the ride of all of the emotions. Um, and it's just masterful. It is just absolutely masterful. Um, so that would be my second one. And then a Third one, gosh, um, I think I'll go to an old favorite. Um, it's a YA book 
and I just would read it and reread it as a child. Um, Daddy was a number runner, and um, it's Louise Merriweather is the author of that, and it's a coming-of-age story about a Black girl in Harlem in the 1930s. And even though, you know, I'm separated from that character through, you know, location and through time, um, it's the first time I remember feeling like I could see myself in a story. And it just had a huge impact on me. And um, some of the things that she goes through in the book are just simply harrowing. Um, And, you know, the writing is incredible. And she really captures girlhood. And, and so I think I'd come back to that one again. Okay. Well, that definitely sounds like a, a good list. I recommend to look at everyone, uh, especially, uh, you know, black girls and women. Many of us are still quarantining with our families. If you could pick any writer, living or dead, to kind of share this time with you, who would you choose and why? Oh, gosh. I'm terrible at superlatives. Let me just say that. You know, if you ask me my best, the the best, my favorite, you know, pick one, I always struggle. Um, any well, writer. Well, this doesn't have to be your favorite. Just someone to hang out with. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I would choose my friend Kiese Lehman because, you know, he's super busy. I'm super busy. And, you know, we could be super busy in the same house, but we'd be able to, like, have a good time and, and laugh and joke like we do on text message, but we'd be able to do it in, in, in public. And I feel like I read something today where I think he said he can't cook, and I love cooking for people. So we'd be cooking and eating and having a really good time. Okay. Well, that sounds fun. I think I I think I remember hearing of did you guys do a talk together or something? Yeah. I, I yeah. Okay, yeah, I think I heard that like I don't know, months ago and it's I know it sounded like you were having fun then, so I can definitely see why you yeah. choose him. <laughs> so what are you reading right now? Um, a couple of things. I'm reading this one of the great things is that I get a lot of advanced copies of books now. Um, so that's really cool. Um And one of the books that I have that's coming out um, this year is a book called Boys in the Void. And um, I want to make sure I get the author's name right. I think it's Jira, G-apostrophe-R-A, Asim. And um, it's a book, you know, he's, I think he's in like in his 30s, and he's writing a book to his younger brother who is a teenager who's kind of disillusioned in school. And the book is divided into um, 10 chapters and each is a punk song. And each chapter is related to the song as a, a some theme about resistance and consciousness around being black in America and the struggle um, that he faces and, and looking through the lens of punk as a form of resistance. Um, so it, it, it reads like memoir, it reads like um, social and cultural commentary. And it's, you know, just the whole premise is so fresh where I think we have somebody who's probably a millennial, you know, writing to a loved one who is Gen Z um, and speaking to the, you know, these moments of personal 
as well as societal discontent and injustice. And then, you know, through the lens of punk as solace and, and punk as resistance, um, is it's just a really incredible read. I've never, you know, read anything quite like it. Um, and I'm also reading uh, my friend Honoré uh, Jeffers' book, um, The Age of Phyllis. I'm not The Age of Phyllis, I'm sorry. That's the collection of poems that she's getting all these awards for. Her debut novel, which is coming out later this year, it's called The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois. And, um, and, and so she's a poet, and I love it when poets write fiction because it's always so beautiful. It's such a treat. Um, so those are the two I'm, I'm going back and forth on. And what are you working on right now? So um, moving ahead with the HBO deal, um, I haven't started writing yet, but there's you know still work to do in, in preparation to adapt. Um, so that's on my plate. I'm working on an essay about um, the pandemic and, and what it's like, you know, living through it. Um, and I'm also working on another short story that does not involve church ladies. <laughs> okay. Can you tell us anything about it? Yes. So um, the first thing I wrote in, uh, it, you know, when we went into quarantine is a short story called I Am Not My Ancestors. And it's a, about this young activist who it wears one of those T-shirts that says, I'm not my ancestors, which is a total misreading, of course, of our ancestors and the ways that they resisted and the ways that, um, you know, they they fought for justice. Um, but, you know, there's some young people who believe that, you know, our ancestors were passive and, and that they didn't fight back. And we know that's not true. So I wanted to play with that a bit. And so the, it's a satirical short story that um, where the young woman is visited in the night by one of her ancestors who is challenging her about what that shirt means. So I wrote that story um, last year and, and, and it was published. And then I, I, there was a story I had in mind probably for two years now um, about a, a psychologist, a sleep psychologist who has insomnia and discovers that he has this supernatural ability to enter children's dreams. And so I, I'm almost done with that. I'm doing like my third or fourth round of revisions on that story. And it's, I found the way that it's connected to the first story, um, I Am Not My Ancestors. And I like threes and I like the way, you know, in, in with visual art, there are these triptychs. I never know if I'm saying that right. You know, three paintings together on around a mm -hmm. theme and um I have a third story in mind that will also be connected to those stories. So right now I'm just working on that second story about um the the sleep psychologist and it's called Dr. Sandman. It sounds like you're working on your next uh short story collection. <laughs> well, you know what? My next book though um will be a novel. It's a novel that I started in 2007 and I don't know, at a certain point I'm not going to be able to say that cuz I I'm now in a place where, you know, it's a, the character's name is different, the main character. Um, I've changed her significantly. I've changed the tone of the novel significantly. I've changed the focus. So I guess really I'm writing a whole new novel um, just with a similar setup um, that I started in 2007. Um, so that's something that my goal is to finish that book 
the first draft at least this year. So we'll see how that goes. Okay. Well, best of luck with that. And I happen to see your story about the, you know, I am not my ancestor. Uh, I saw that somewhere online. I don't remember where. So very, very good story. I really enjoyed that. Um, Thank you. If that phrase irks you, you know, please, it, it really irks me a lot. So I really enjoyed that uh, story. So yeah, it's, see, um, I think, and I know, let's see, Vox Populi, Populi, it's Latin. V-O-X-P-O-P-U-L-I is the site um, where they, people can find that story. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. I will link to that on my website so okay. people, I'll, I'll, so people can read it if they'd like. Okay. Lisa, where can people find you online if they want to know more, just, you know, what you're working on or if they want to read sure. more of work, where can they go? Um, on Twitter, I'm Deisha Filia, at it's at Deisha Filia. On Instagram, it's at Deisha Filia. And on Facebook, um, my public account is Deisha Filia Writer. Well, Deisha, thank you so much for coming on to talk about your work. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me, Marva. I appreciate this conversation. You can find out how to win a free copy of The Secret Lives of Church Ladies on our website, readmorepodcast.com. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also support Disha and the show through buying the book on our site. Please follow us on Twitter at Read More Podcast and like us on Facebook. Join us again next time for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. Until then, I'm Marva Hinton reminding you to read more.